This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, uh, brace yourselves accordingly, but today we're going to talk a lot about the Ottawa Senators. Now, pet peeve, the timing of my program could not be worse, could it? I mean, my program ends here when waivers start, so I can be gushing about someone um, for a full two hours, who knows, only to find out that that player goes on waivers a couple of moments after I go off the air. Or, in the case of what we saw yesterday, I go off the air after assuring all of our viewers slash listeners that the Ottawa Senators are trying really hard not to fire DJ Smith, and that's not what Michael Ann Lauer wants to do, and that's not what Steve Steos wants to do, and he keeps reassuring DJ Smith that he is going to be there and not be fired. Well, shortly after I went off the air yesterday, DJ Smith got fired. And so did Davis Payne. And taking over on an interim capacity, Jacques Martin and Daniel Alfredson. Uh, and I was called a conspiracy theorist when they were both brought into the mix. <laughs> Specifically Jacques Martin. And people tried to reassure me that he's only there as a consultant. Someone for DJ Smith to lean on if he has any questions or wants a, a sort of senior advisor he can go to with, you know, seeking advice or seeking counsel. There's Jacques Martin right there. And that's the only reason Martin is back with the Ottawa Senators. Ladies and gentlemen, I was born at night, but I was not born last night. This one we saw coming a mile away. Now, I do believe that this was not what the Ottawa Senators wanted to do. I do not believe for one second that this was the plan when Michael Andlauer took over possession of the Ottawa Senators. I don't believe that for one second. I don't believe that they wanted to fire Pierre Dorian. It became pretty obvious uh, after the, the Danoff, the Danoff uh, punishments um, that that was it for Pierre Dorian. But I do believe that they really had a plan to go through the entire season with DJ Smith as their head coach. I think the one thing that Ann Lauer and Steve Steos have wanted this season to be is calm and not noisy. They got the opposites. They got the, the Donoff situation and the subsequent penalty because of the Donoff situation. They got the 41-game suspension for Shane Pinto and all the associated allegations of who did what with whose device on which sport and was it hockey. They got the Pierre Dorian firing and now they have the DJ Smith firing and oh yeah, it's not even Christmas yet. So where Ann Lauer wanted calm, he got chaos. Where Steos wanted peace, he got noise. And that's where we find the Ottawa Senators today. So brace yourselves. There's going to be a lot of talk about the Ottawa Senators. Ottawa Senators past, Ottawa Senators present, and Ottawa Senators future as well. Uh, Elliot is at the rink. It is uh, Leafs Rangers tonight. So he's going to join us in hour two. Um, he's at the Toronto Maple Leafs, New York Rangers skate. Uh, Kevin Allen's going to stop by at the bottom of the hour because the Detroit Red Wings just can't keep on. They just can't stop losing games with Patrick Kane in the lineup. Yesterday was uh, another tough one. They lose 4-3 uh, to the Detroit Red Wings and lose another goaltender in the process. Vili Husso leaves with 237 left in the first period. James Reimer takes over. Clem Costin gets caught by Radko Gudis. If you haven't seen the hit, do yourself a favor. It's a Radko Gouda special. Uh, he leaves upper body injury. Lucas Dostal almost scored a goalie goal in that one. And also in the Pittsburgh 4-3 win over the Minnesota Wild, Alex Ndelkovic also almost got a goalie goal as well. The other thing we should probably mention, so we'll talk to about the Detroit Red Wings with Kevin Allen. Elliot joins in hour two. Eric Engels from Sportsnet.ca covering the Montreal Canadiens. We saw them on Rogers Monday Night Hockey yesterday. They beat the Winnipeg Jets in overtime. Justin Barron scores as Morgan Barron is too slow getting to the point to block it. 3-2 uh, is the final score there, and I know there are games in hand, and I understand all that, but let's just go along with the fun right now because Montreal could use it. Montreal Canadiens are two points out of a wild card spot. Just let that sink in for one second. The Montreal Canadiens are two points out of a wild card spot at the Eastern Conference. As we're joined now by the man we love to call the York Chop, he is a former NHLer, now significant podcaster, I should point out as well, the one and only Jason York. How are you, Yorkie? Jeff, I seem like I'm talking to you almost on a weekly basis, which means. The Ottawa Senators have been the headlines a lot this year. That's the only reason you call yeah. on me, buddy. I know you love me, well, but yeah, here we are. 
I, I, I do love you, and I love talking about the old Kempville uh, squad as well, but we're going to talk oh, yeah. about the uh, the Ottawa Senators, yes, once again. Well, I mean, but here's the thing, though, Yorkie. Like, I, I was uh, making the point off the top of the show. A couple of things I think we need to keep in mind about the Ottawa Senators. Michael Andlauer got this team late. It wasn't as if yes. he got this team in April or in May. He got this team late. So a lot, like, it was hurry-up offense for the Ottawa Senators with the new ownership. And I'm very much convinced that what he wanted and what Steve Steos wanted was a calm season, was for Pierre Dorian to ride through as a general manager, then they would make a decision on him, for DJ Smith to ride through as a head coach, then they would make a decision on him. But instead of, you know, calm waters, what they got was the Donoff and the punishment. What they got was Shane Pinto and the 41-game suspension. What they got was the dismissal of general manager Pierre Dorian. And what they got yesterday was the firing of DJ Smith as the howls continued to grow louder and louder and louder from a lot of different corners in the Ottawa Senators universe. They wanted calm, Jason. They got the opposite. They very much got the opposite. Well... Do you know what was going to happen, too? Because the, the next step for the Ottawa Senators fan base was apathy. And, and that's and people wonder, why did, why did they make that move right now? And, and I just think they did it because after this road trip, that wouldn't have been a pleasant environment coming back to play the Pittsburgh Penguins on the 23rd. They were already starting to, to, yeah. to boo G, DJ at home games, Jeff. And I was at one of the games. And when that starts... It brings me back to the time, I think, uh, when Brian Burke let Ron Wilson go. You remember that? He says, I'm not going to subject yep. you to that. And, you know, yeah. this isn't all on This isn't all on DJ. Um, you know, it's every coach has a life uh, expectancy. They have a shelf life. And it, it wasn't working out. But you're right, though. Just so many things this year. And at the end of the day, do you know what's kind of ironic about this? <laughs> they, always say Ve- they always say Ve- that Vegas and the casino get you in the end, right? Vegas got oh, yeah. Pierre Dorian, and it was the last game. Mm. DJ Smith coached against Vegas, so you got the double whammy with Vegas. But at the end of the day, wow. you know DJ. I know DJ, Jeff. He is a good person, yeah. a good a good man. Um, but, hey, that's what happens in this business, yeah. right? It's a, result, it's a result-oriented business. Uh, they move on. Um, but we'll see. Now Now all the question marks start for next year, right? Who's going to come in is – Oh, I, I don't know if I don't know Jeff is I don't see Jacques as the long term solution here. Um, I, I just no. think Michael Andlauer and Steve Stales they're going to take their time, and it's a nice stopgap. Like Jacques, I played for Jacques for five years. One thing about him, Jeff, he is detail oriented, mm-hmm. and he's he's going to fix some of the things or or, or die trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's him and Daniel Alfredson as well. And, you know, I was sort of playing breadcrumbs yeah. uh, a little bit when we started to see this happen. And, like, you, when you start to... Like, the to me, the first indication that there was going to be eh, maybe some uncomfortable conversations was at the Global Series in Stockholm when all of a sudden Daniel Alfredson popped up on the bench. And I said to myself, okay, yeah. well, that's interesting. Where's that going? And then afterwards, there was the announcement of Jacques Martin. And as much as Steve Steos tried to assure everybody that the only reason Jacques Martin was there was to provide yeah. counsel for DJ Smith, whether he wants it or not, whether he asked for it or not, and I strongly suspect he didn't, Jacques Martin was there as a veteran steadying hand and the uh, wizened older hockey man that could impart his knowledge on young DJ Smith um, in order to help turn around the Ottawa Senators. Uh, and I said, like, look, the, the name's Tucker, not Sucker. Like, we all know what's going on here. Like, if they're going to make a decision on DJ Smith, they need the safety net. And the safety net was Jacques Martin. It also helps exactly. that he's a name from the past and it is very marketable and a very comfortable name, as is Daniel Alfredson. So that plan came together. I was called a conspiracy theorist, Mr. York, when I put those two <laughs> things together. You were a conspiracy theorist. Uh, but, but, right, but nonetheless... Yeah, yeah, you're Pat. You're, you know who you are right now. You're Barry Horowitz. You know who Barry Horowitz is. <laughs> yeah, the pat on the back. Yeah, of course. That's you right there. Pat yourself on the back for being right. <laughs> Listen, I yeah. agree with your. I I agree with your conspiracy theory to some point, but I I think when Jacques was brought in, I don't think he was necessary. We're bringing you in because we're going to make a move here in two weeks. I I think it was it served two purposes. Bring him in because it it 
the fan base, they were getting loud. They were getting vocal. It, it kind of settled things down. And, and then it said, and then I think they were thinking, if things go really sideways here, we've got a nice stopgap. We've got somebody who we can, it was almost like an insurance policy. You buy some insurance in case you need it down mm-hmm. the road. And they needed it. And then bringing in Daniel Offertson, I know Alfie pretty good, Jeff. When, when Alfie came aboard, his intention wasn't to jump in and be an assistant coach right now. I, I just think he's doing it because he's filling a need that they really need right now. If, 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 if you're going to make this move, obviously the assistant coach goes as well, Davis Payne, and mm-hmm. it's just right away, this is, it makes sense. But I, I, I truly believe Alfie was coming in and, and, and trying to figure out what he wanted to do. And, and I don't think that right away he's like, I want to coach. I just think he's filling a need and, and a gap that, uh, that, that this team has, needs badly right now. I'm not disputing that he that Jacques Martin specifically was brought in as the safety net in case they needed to make a decision on uh, on DJ Smith. Um, but I can tell you, like when I went off the air that day, the first text yeah. I got was from someone on another team uh, in, a, in a different organization saying, this is so insulting to DJ Smith. If you don't want him, just yeah. fire him because yeah. this looks yeah. really bad towards DJ Smith. Yeah. Well, if you put yourself in the coach's shoes, you got someone looking over your shoulder and, and he's he's there watching totally. from the press box and you're watching the games and the camera's panning up and it's looking at Jock. Yeah, it's uh, 100%. But it's, <laughs> these Canadian markets are unique, as you know, Jeff. Like the, the, the fans are are much more vocal. Yeah. And, and, and don't forget, the beginning of the season, it was so positive. When Michael Andlauer came in, he was the man of the people, and he still is, by the way. Like people were like, "Yes, still is." We're gonna see. We're gonna see change. Yeah. We're get this. This and and, and I, listen, I had Ottawa in the playoffs. I'm I'm as shocked as anyone is seeing what's happened for a variety of different reasons. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, you remember Michael Andlauer's expression at that press conference? He's like, "What else? What else can happen to me oh, right yeah. now?" <laughs> like you, you, yeah. you got the draft picks. You got the gambling with with Pinto. So I, I, I listened well, to you before before I came on, and I do agree with you. They just want to calm things down. They, they want to get people talking about hockey and, 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 and worrying about the product. But you are right. Because they came in so late to the game, because he got the team so late, he didn't really get a chance to put, yeah. to put his own stamp and his own mark on it. And, and here we are. You know, one of the um, one of the most interesting things um, that, you, that you just said a couple of moments ago, I want to sort of pick up on, and that is the atmosphere in the building. And it had become, to your point, really negative. And I think teams yes. are really sensitive to this, not having a negative air in the building. Like the minute you walk in, it's just, okay, it's impending doom. Let's just, let's, let's just take our medicine and, and get this over with. And well, Jeff, there think were about plenty this. of just, days, just, like, just... even just... Think about this, so Jeff. Like everybody says, oh, the, the you don't hear it. That that it's just the fans. Well, talk to Jordan Cairo about that. <laughs> when you get booed, uh, like yeah. it it if it affects yeah. everybody. I don't care what anybody says. You hear it, and and obviously they were mm-hmm. hearing it too. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you there. No, no, no. I think I think it's the right point, and uh, I think that uh, the teams are sensitive to it, and I also think that the Ottawa Senators are sensitive about sensitive about because it's been so long that it's been a negative atmosphere in that rink that I think mm-hmm. that they want mm-hmm. they want that out, like they want to clear that negative energy out of the building. Not necessarily that you you know just give fans what they want. You know what's the old saying? If you if you listen to your fans long enough, soon enough you'll be sitting with them. Um, I, I don't think hey. that they were just placating hey. fans by this for for this one, Jeff. I but I, I, like, I, I, like, I do I, think I like that the one, Jeff. I like the one where they say if you you listen to all those guys that are saying shoot on the power play, your power play is not going to do very well. <laughs> You'll be thirty second if you're shooting every time they scream shoot. Uh, that's a really good point. That's funny. Um, so then the question becomes now, not who, not who the next coach is going to be, like the full-time coach. Okay, I'm with you. I don't think Jacques Martin is a full-time coach. I don't think that Daniel Alfredson is going to be the full-time assistant coach. I really don't. I think he probably, and you're closer to it, you can tell me whether I have a read on this or not. I think he's more interested in working in player development. I think he's interested in going on the ice with the guys. I think he's interested in that capacity with the Ottawa Senators in and above uh, and an association with being an ambassador for the Ottawa Senators. But one of the things that we wonder about is not necessarily who the next coach is, but who's going to hire the next coach? Is the next coach going to be hired by Steve Steos, or is the next coach going to be hired by 
the general manager they settle on? Or maybe did they already have the next general manager in Steve Steos? I think the next general manager, and I don't have any inside knowledge on this. I, I just think he has to come aboard before this at the latest before the trade deadline comes up this year mm-hmm. for the Ottawa centers. It's going to be really important. They don't, they've lost a, a lot of assets. They don't have a lot of draft capita. So I, I, I think that move is going to have to be made because I've heard everyone's heard what Michael Landlover wants. He wants that 200 monster, right? So I think number one, the, the general yeah. manager and the, the next coach will be hired by Steve Steos and the general manager. I think it's going to be a combined effort before they do that. And that's what having Jacques Martin here right now affords you the luxury of doing. Um, you don't have to do that right away. You, you can wait and you wait till the end of the year when, when the pool of coaches is, is that much bigger. And, um, you know, the rumors have already started about, about who that guy could be. But it, I think that the coaching yeah. thing happens in the offseason. The GM, if, if I'm a betting man, I'm going to say that that, that that probably gets done next month. That's what I think. Even if that person is with another team and that team uh, may or may not want to let go of said person. Matthew Darsh, <clears throat> excuse me, just yeah. clear my throat there a second. Um, <laughs> that, even if they're employed the- by another team. <laughs> that's that's the gotcha, right? That's the gotcha. I, listen, I've heard all the Matthew yeah. Darsh. Uh, I know Matthew, great person, smart guy. Um, seems like a great fit. Yep. You know, that that, that rumor has been out there since the summertime. So, yeah, great point. Potentially, yes. yeah, me. Maybe you have to wait for that in the off season, right? But you know, if if I usually organizations don't stop a guy from moving up, and, and a lot of guys in their contracts they, have. They, if I'm making, if, if I'm yeah. having an upward move, then they'll let it happen. They're not going to hold a guy back. You wouldn't think. No, but they, but they, but they would hold a guy back during the season, like during the off season. Yeah. Absolutely, it's a, it's a, it's an upward position. I can just mm-hmm. see, like, let's take, for example, Matthew Darsh as, as an example. If you're Julian Brisebois, you know, you're letting him go mid-season. Like, no, I, you know, one not. of the great stories out there, I'll, I'll tell you what, one of, the, one of the great stories, and this goes back to the, um, uh, the Claude Giroux draft. You know, one of the reasons that Bob Clark was, you know, so upset at that draft is, as you'll recall, a couple of weeks before the draft, Ron Hextall left Philadelphia and went to Los Angeles. And this is after sitting in on all the scouting meetings and seeing the draft lists and, and who the Flyers, yeah. blah, 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 and knowing which way direction they want to go in the draft. And the Kings were drafting before Philadelphia, and Los Angeles went up and selected Trevor Lewis. And Trevor Lewis was the player that Bobby Clark really, really wanted. He saw a lot of himself in Trevor yeah. Lewis, and he was livid. And then I think it I think it was two picks later, the Rangers took Bobby Sanguinetti, who I think was next on the Flyers list. So then he feels doubly burned. And by the time he gets up there, he's, he's so livid at the Los Angeles Kings that he forgets <laughs> the that. name of the player who tuned into Claude Giroux. And Claude Giroux turned out to be better than all of them. So he, he backed into yeah. that one. And sometimes uh, you get what's better when you don't oh. get what you want but you know yeah, there there are teams story. that are sensitive that during the season we can't oh. let someone go well, happy of, to do well, it at the end of the of, season after the draft and free agency yeah because you're basically leaving with all the insider knowledge of that team and what they like what they're after so yeah yeah no it's it's a it's a great it's a great point when you really think about that so yeah if I, I would have to think if it's going to be Darsh it's probably happened in the off season for just the, have to wait. the reason you laid out. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. Now, we'll, we'll see. There's, there's other names out there too, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. There are the, um, you know, the, 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 there was an interesting situation though, in Edmonton where the Rangers allowed Chris Knobloch to leave their AHL affiliate to join the Edmonton Oilers. And that was in season. There have been plenty of teams that have blocked that from happening before. And I've always said, like, good on the New York Rangers for doing it. Well, one, I mean, Peter Laviolette's in year one of a multi-year contract, uh, so there's not going to be anything for Chris Knobloch anyway. But a lot of teams have said, like, no, you're our coach for the season. That's your commitment. We're not letting you go, even if it is a shot at the NHL. Um, speaking of coaches, yeah, well, I think a lot of us thing, wonder though, yeah. about... Go ahead. The other thing, Jeff, I forgot to say, Ottawa doesn't have a lot of draft picks coming up. Those were... Those were kind of uh, lost the last couple of years. Well, okay, let me. Okay, let's get onto that one then, because man, we do a lot on Ottawa today. But there's, there's a lot of grist for the mill here. So the thing about Ottawa, everything in life is timing, and everything in roster construction is timing. Like you can ask the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, about their timing um, in making the deal for Phil Kessel. 
Like the timing of that deal was wrong. That's not someone you start a rebuild with. That's someone you finish a rebuild with. And as we look back on it now, again, hindsight 2020, I get all of it. But, you know, the Ottawa Senators, when you can make the point, they weren't ready for Alex to bring it. They weren't ready, I would even say, for Claude Giroux. They weren't ready for Jacob Chikrin. These are all players that you bring in when you're further down the road in your rebuild. But in the case of Tarasenko. Ottawa, Pierre Dorian had an you know, op- opportunity to bring... Vlad Tarasenko comes in in the offseason, and here's Shane Pinto going like, uh, that, it, how about my money? <laughs> Hang on a second here. <laughs> you're just bringing this guy in. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's, oh, a a lot of head scratchers. But like it, a lot it, of head scratchers. Well, it just seemed like the, the, the timing of all of these is is off. And I, I do wonder, does the new general manager need to come in and fix mistakes until they start growing again or get back on track? Like whomever comes in here, like what's the order of business? Like we're just we're not talking about playoffs here anymore. Like this isn't mm-hmm. the you know twenty nineteen yeah. St. Louis Blues. That's that's not gonna happen. But like new management comes in, what's the first order of business here? First order of business, I, I I think they're looking for a a right shot D, a right shot D that's that 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 can a bigger body that that can just play a good defensive game because if that's yeah. <laughs> hey just this in thanks mm-hmm. tips get in line and the rest of the NHL what's everybody looking for <laughs> a good right shot D, but that's that's yeah. that's one thing I think that's high on their shopping list but but the main thing organizational wise for the Ottawa Senators and this is you know big reason why Jacques is there right now. They want the word, and I hate this word because it could mean so many different things. They want to bring structure into the Ottawa Senators. They want this team to play with more structure and to be better defensively and to teach these young guys how to defend. And I think part two to the answer is, is how do you teach young forwards to defend? Well, you got to surround them with one or two guys that have played in the league and that are really good defensive forwards. Another thing the Ottawa Senators really don't have on their roster, Jeff, when you look at how it's constructed, a lot of high-end talent, a lot of good young players, but not really that prototypical really good two-way centerman or winger or whoever. I like I like to put it as a centerman that, that just helps you not only win, but he helps you teach and he helps mentor your younger players. And that's with Ottawa. If you look at that team, Jeff, they're so young down the middle and down the middle, they are yeah. really weak defensively. So I, I think that's another thing that's again, tough to find it. It's tough to find guys in their, you know, that 26 yeah. to 28 year old range that can really play that 200 foot game. It takes a while to learn. And that, and that's, and that's, and that's part yeah. of the reason Ottawa just struggles so much. They just don't have a lot of guys like a Chris Kelly, who they used to have, guys like that, that just understand the little nuances of the game of what it takes to be a 200-foot player. If only there was some way to get Mark Stone, man. If there was only oh. some way to get Mark hey, Stone. Now you're now you're just taking <laughs> now you're just taking the stick and you're just poking the bear. Like like there's, there's know, a guy. Like, now, there's a guy. There's a guy that should have retired an Ottawa Senator. Like so, and still a really good mm. player. Like, and he's a winger, but he's really a center Great. because he's just so smart out there. Like those those are guys. You, those are guys you don't trade. Those are guys that, that stay with your so, franchise and yeah. help teach the next generation. Let me let me close on this one. Um, Brent Wallace yesterday was on uh, on the on the fan on on Justin and Ailish's yeah. show, and he said that there are three untouchables on this team. Yes. There is Jake Sanderson, there is Tim Stutzla, there is Brady Kachuk. That's it. Agree, disagree. I, I would agree with that, and I would throw another name in there, and he'll be surprised because he's an older guy. Uh, but I just think mm-hmm. he's so important to the group right now, and it's going to be tough because the trade deadline coming, and a lot of a lot of teams are going to want him. And I think Claude Giroux is is so important to this group right now because he's exactly that guy I just described, mm-hmm. like the older player that is. You just need guys like that around your group, so. I would throw him into the mix. Obviously, he's older, and uh, I wouldn't call him a complete untouchable, but I just think his importance to the team, Jeff, is is, is vital. Right. 
All right. So listen, um, that was probably more time than you bargained for when you woke up this morning spending with me. So we'll uh, we'll we'll let you off the hook. <laughs> uh, York, always uh, always a great time, my friend. You uh, you be well. Uh, and we'll check back soon because I don't think this is the last story out of Ottawa this season. <laughs> up I don't think so, me. Jeff. Yeah, now I'm late. I got I got a pickup <laughs> game at one o'clock. I got to get my bag packed out the door and on the ice in uh, 35 minutes. Oh, and you and, and you're you know you're you're not 25 anymore. That's like 35 minutes of activation before you get out there, and then you got to make sure the Tiger Bomb is ready and the two tins when you get off oh, the yeah. ice too. This is a lot of prep work you got to do for 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 uh, informal skates these days. We'll let you get to it. Thanks, pal. Thanks, Jeff. See you later, bud. There he is, the great Jason York. Uh, stops by talking about the Ottawa Senators, um, someone very close to the scene uh, with the Ottawa Senators. Uh, yesterday, the news, DJ Smith and Davis Payne dismissed. Jacques Martin and Daniel Alfredson take over. Um, they're not going to be full-time. I, guess, I, I think that you know, you're know you going to hear a lot of different names for coaches, just as you've heard a lot of different names for general manager. Um I still think that Matthew Darsh has to be considered one of the favorites. He's currently employed um, by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, Peter Shirelli's name was and has been out there. Now, I didn't check this morning, but I did check last night before I went on with Justin and Ailish um, if anyone had called uh, Patrick Wozkamp, and as of yesterday, they hadn't. I don't know if that's a direction that they want to go or that's a direction... Uh, that they're going to go. But as of yesterday, there was no communication between the two camps. Again, I didn't check today. um, So I probably should do that when I get off the air. But uh, I know that name is going to be out there for probably not just the... Probably not just the coaching capacity, but maybe the general manager capacity as well. But we'll we'll, we'll see where that one uh, where that one heads. But uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the Ottawa situation with Elliot coming up in hour two. Uh, Kevin Allen's going to stop by in a couple of moments. The Detroit Red Wings just can't stop losing with Patrick Kane in the lineup. Although. Uh, we saw an all-world Patrick Kane pass last night, didn't we, to Alex DeBrinka, who found the back of the nets uh, in a losing cause of the drop one to the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, we'll talk to Kevin Allen coming up. Eric Engels in hour two. Uh, a game that turned out a lot better than it started. You know, I kind of hyped this one up. Is this going to be really good? Good chance to watch the Winnipeg Jets, Rogers Monday Night Hockey. The Jets are exceptional. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to watch them, you should. And that first period, whoo boy. There's, um, I don't know that I've seen a first period this season where there were, that was more low event. Let's give it a soft landing. That, that was more low event. Let's just say that. Uh, and that was even with that seven minute stretch at the end of the first period where there were no whistles whatsoever. Uh, going to talk to Eric Ankles coming up in hour two about the Montreal Canadiens who now find themselves a scant, a scant two points out of a wild card. There are games in hand for the teams above them. I understand that. But, you know, let them have something. It's been tough the last few years for the Montreal Canadiens. Let them have something. They're getting closer to a wild card spot. Do they ultimately get there? We shall see. Uh, Eric Engel stops by an hour or two. One thing on Rogers Monday Night Hockey that I did want to mention as well, a, uh, a big congratulations, bittersweet for all of us here at Sportsnet as Cassie Campbell-Pascal announces that she is leaving us at Sportsnet uh, to sign on as a special advisor for the uh, PWHL. Uh, their season starts in the new year, which is a major coup for them. She will do exceptional work there uh, as she did here. And I'd always, I'll tell you, when I was working at CBC on Hockey Night, um, there was one year at a hockey day in Canada in Winkler, Manitoba. It was the first hockey day that I that I ever worked. And I knew how big Cassie was. Like I knew the effect that, I, sorry, I shouldn't say that. I thought I knew how big an effect Cassie Campbell-Pascal had on this country. I thought I knew what she meant to a lot of young athletes, specific, specifically female athletes i thought i knew and you know there's the the moment at the at the banquet every year at hockey day uh, where everybody from hockey night in canada gets introduced and you know ron and don were the were the big stars and got the the big ovation the cup comes in and all is great but right there as well when cassie gamble pascal was introduced it was like the cork coming out of a champagne bottle and the eyes on all the young girls that were there for that banquet, their eyes just lighting up like their hero has just arrived. She is uh, an inspiration. 
she's been a great colleague, a great teammate. She's going to do great things with uh, with the new women's league. Um, we're going to miss her. <laughs> I know I certainly will. Uh, that's someone that I've leaned on a number of different times in my career. Uh, really generous broadcaster, wonderful person, great mom, great hockey mom uh, as well. And we're going to miss her. All of us are here at, uh, at uh, either Hockey Night in Canada, the NHL on Sportsnet, uh, and every other department that Cassie touched. We wish her nothing but the best of luck, uh, and she'll be great over the PWHL. Uh, Cassie's going to stop by the program tomorrow because today she's on her way to San Jose uh, for ESPN. So we'll take a break. Elliot Friedman coming up in hour two. Congratulations on a great career at Sportsnet, Cassie, and, and all the best in your in your new career. Uh, Eric Engels comes up in hour two, but Kevin Allen joins me next to talk about the Detroit Red Wings, Patrick Kane, and all the losing. What's going on there? Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Back in a moment. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up top of the hour, Elliot Friedman joins us just after the uh, Maple Leafs and New York Rangers skate at Scotiabank. Lots on the Ottawa Senators coaching, or, uh, coaching situation uh, and other notes from around the NHL. Eric Engels on the suddenly two points out of a wild card spot Montreal Canadiens after a 3-2 overtime victory over the Winnipeg Jets last night at Rogers Monday Night Hockey. In the meantime... Losing goaltenders and losing games. That seems to be the theme of the Detroit Red Wings lately. Case in point, last night, uh, they lose to the Anaheim Ducks. A valiant comeback effort after going down 4 nothing, and the process lose another goaltender in Vili Husso. Uh, joining me now is Kevin Allen. When we talk to Detroit Red Wings, he is our go-to from Detroit Hockey Now. He joins me. Uh, Kevin, how are you today? Thanks so much for hopping aboard. Uh, doing great. Happy to be talk- talking to you. Uh, do you have, a, before we get into the Red Wings, since the, the DJ Smith news is still sort of the topic du jour, um, did you have a thought or two on what you saw sort of at a distance here with the Ottawa Senators? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody expected a lot more for them, and I think uh, Smith paid a price for the, for the fact that I think the expectations uh, have been raised and, you know, they simply didn't deliver. But I saw Pierre Lebrun call it a, almost a mercy uh, firing and. Uh, I think that's apt. Yeah. Uh, there, there comes a point where, um, and we saw that in Detroit with Jeff Blaschel. Like uh, I, I think Steve Eisenman liked our, um, Jeff Blaschel, but he, at some point, you know, the losses start to mount and the fans just turn on you, and they're not coming back. And I think that was true in Ottawa as well. I just don't think that uh, Smith could have come back from um, just the raised expectation and the poor performance of this season. Absolutely fair. Okay, so to the Detroit Red Wings, 1-5-1 and one, uh, with Patrick Kane in the lineup. This is just a coincidence, or do you read it differently? No, I, I, I think it's a coincidence. Uh, you know, it sort of reminds me back when uh, uh, when Shea Weber was with Nashville and Laviolette was his coach. He was a big proponent of uh, advanced stats, and yet it's advanced stats said Shea Weber wasn't as good as we all thought he was. And I talked to Peter Laviolette about that. And he kind of smiled and he said, yeah, it's true that I am into advanced stats. But, and I know what it says about Shea, but we're still two minutes to go and holding a lead or trying to uh, regain the lead. You know, I'm going to put Weber out there. And that's what I say about Patrick Kane. Anybody who's watched the Red Wings play uh, show that he still has magic in this game. They've added uh, a player that, uh, you know, can change games with his uh, skill. And even though it hasn't been successful so far, so far you can see that it's, it's going to be, this is an important acquisition for Detroit. Well, we saw that yesterday on that gorgeous pass to Alex DeBrink. Yeah. I mean, very few players find seams uh, the way that Patrick Kane does. And that was I mean, every Chicago Blackhawk fan who was watching that Detroit Anaheim game yesterday was like, yeah, we saw that thousands and thousands of times 
uh, here. Like, well, what is it about Kane and Debrinket? Like, what always makes like what makes that combination work? Well, I mean, I, I think it's his um, belief and trust that Kane will get him the puck, and so he just goes where he, you know he normally sets up. I mean, he sets up in the same spot. It's almost a Vetchkin like that. You know, he's going to that spot, mm-hmm. but the Red Wings have not been able to get it to him uh, with any level of consistency since he's been here. I mean, they're getting it to him sometimes, but not nearly enough. And now the Kane's there. He can do it, you know, on a regular basis, and he mm-hmm. can thread it through skates. And, you know, that that's just the difference. The Red Wings really don't have – I like the terrific hockey player, but he's not a, a playmaking center in the traditional sense. He's not a big – kind of setup guy. So they needed someone who could get to bring cats to puck. And uh, those two have history together and they like each other off the ice too. And I think that's, that's crucial. They're, you know, pretty good, pretty good friends. And, uh, you know, you see them on the bench, they're always talking. So I uh, with that chemistry that everybody talked about, it's, it's real. Uh, and I think everybody in Detroit has already seen it. So, what have you been able to pinpoint then for the recent record? I mean, we all yeah. coming back from from Sweden. Uh, all of a sudden, this team attached a rocket to its back, and holy smokes! Look at the Detroit Red Wings, and they're going to add Pat Kane. Uh, this is you know a, a new fuel in the engine that's already humming at a at a at a high wattage. Here, like w- what's happened here? One five and one with Kane yeah. in the lineup. Well, I mean, I, I think that what happened in Sweden was a reset, you know, kind of prompted by a little uh, uh, while everybody was getting dress speech from Dylan Larkin. There, you know, he were asked everybody what kind of team they were, and they sort of figured out what they were and what they needed to do, and they were feeling pretty good about themselves. But you know, they they don't have the culture yet where they can overcome, you know, the kind of adversity they've had recently with you know, what happened to Dylan Larkin and then the suspension to Peron, um, and now the goaltending injuries, uh, all this just kind of weighs on them, and they haven't been able to overcome that. I mean, this is not a, uh, a battle-tested, battle-hardened team. They're a collection of uh, veteran players that have kind of come here. So I don't think that um, they have it quite all together yet, and though their depth is much improved, I mean, it's still not big enough that they can overcome losing, you know, two important players like Larkin and Perone, and then to lose their goaltending. And what's happened to their goaltending is almost comical uh, from the outside looking in. I mean, last week we're talking yeah. to the guys about how hard it is to deal with three goalies on uh, at practice and everything, and all of a sudden they only got one healthy goalie. And you know, as of this morning, there was no logical choice for what they should do uh you know they bring up 21 year old sebastian cosa the other goalie michael hutchison is really not a red wings uh uh signing he you know he was signed by the uh the griffins so they would have to sign him if they wanted to bring him up so not a lot of good options for him bringing up a 21 year old goalie is uh, uh not something that i think yeah. that steve eisman really wants to do yeah, you know we've um, listen, we, we've made a lot about when it comes to goaltending the Buffalo Sabers, you know, situation. And as much as they've wanted, they've wanted Devin Levi to be the guy. Uh, there are some in the organization that I'm sure want Ukapeka Lukanen to be the guy. Uh, two years ago, when they signed Eric Comrie, there are many that thought he was going to be the guy. But then at the end of it, you looked at it collectively and you said, "Hang on a second, you put these three together. Do they even have a hundred NHL games experience?" And we're heading into an NHL season with that. Like I, I respect the idea of not trying to force Sebastian Cosa into this at all. Like if he really is going to be your goalie of the future, let him play 150 games at the American Hockey League and then bring him up. Uh, having said that, the reality of the situation is Lyon is hurt. Huso is hurt. James Reimer has been underwhelming. Um, is there any chance? And I guess it all depends on the nature of the injuries that we look at Detroit and say, we thought they were going to be maybe moving a goaltender. Are they actually out in the market maybe looking for one? Well, I think that's a possibility, Jeff. I really do. I mean, I, I think it just is going to depend on what news they get about Huso and uh, where Lyon is at. I mean, we got sort of mixed signals uh, about Lyon. The Lyon said, you know, I'm, I feel like uh, it's going to be a short-term thing. It wasn't nearly as bad as I thought as I was uh, – 
you know, uh, kneeling on the ice with it. And then, um, then when we talked to Lalone, Lalone said, uh, you know, hey, look, you know, is this going to be an IR move? We, I, we don't know yet. So I don't know. I, I, I think I, mm. the sense is, is that it's going to be shorter rather than longer. But does that mean a week and 10 days? But, you know, their goaltending has been um, average at best. And, you know, Huso has had uh, way too many three or more goals per game. Uh, performances and uh, I think they realize that and they're sort of looking at it I think they thought that Alex Lyon was maybe going to step up like he did late last season with Florida because uh, they like him you know he's a he's a guy that uh, he, he plays confidently and that's what they want to see from their goalie and so um, you know if Lyon's not going to be a long-term uh, injury, I think they'll sort of try to limp along here. But if he was going to be out any length and Yusuf was going to be out, I think for sure that they would look around at the goaltending mm. market. I know that hindsight is twenty twenty, and and managers hate when you have conversations like this, but do you think maybe they waited too long to go to Alex Lyon? Uh, I, I for sure do. Yeah, no, I it, this uh, situation with Yusuf, goes back to last season i don't have the stats in front of me but you know over like his last 30 starts like 80 percent or more of them he's given up three or more goals and you you really can't win in this league if your team if your goalie's giving up three three or more goals now you know it's not all on you so i mean defensively they struggled particularly last season but they've been better this year defensively and uh um, yet, uh, you know, but the funny thing is, is he's got a winning record that he's been winning. <laughs> so, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of one of those, it's, it's kind of one of those situations, uh, where the, they're kind of looking at it and going, yeah, we don't like his numbers and we wish he would, uh, um, you know, have a few more, uh, zero or one goal games, but, uh, you know, we're still winning with him in. So it is going to be interesting, but. The one thing I will say about Eisenman and uh, with his younger players, and this is both good and bad, I think, is you know he he not only just with his goalies, but with with all of his young players, he wants them to play a lot in the AHL. Like um, you know, for example, Jonathan Bergeron has played over two years, seventy-two games, getting close to what would be a full season. He scored seventeen goals in those things, and you know. He has not convinced Steve Eisenman that he's ready to play in the NHL, uh, which, you know, is a lot like uh, Ken Holland's approach used to be. He used to talk about he likes his younger players overripe. Well, Steve likes some real ripe as well. So, uh, you know, it, it's hard if you're a young player trying to make the Red Wings. Uh, Simon Edvinson uh, as well. We'll throw that name into yeah. the mix too. Um, a, a couple of things real, real quick here. That was a... That was a big boy collision last night. Radko Gudis and Clem Costin. Yeah. Clem Costin is not a not a small man by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but as we know, Radko Gudis hits for keeps, and there are just some there are just some players that when they hit you, it jars your whole body. That's Radko Gudis. Do we have any type of update on Clem Costin? Well, they called up Zarnak, which tells me he's probably not going to be able to play against Winnipeg. Uh, you know, that's just a guess on my yeah. part uh, because Lalone has not uh, talked to the media yet. But uh, um, that that would say, I mean, you know, that was a tank run into a brick wall. Uh, like you said, Costin is no yeah. small man. And uh, Gudis, the, the irony, of course, is the Red Wings uh, had, had interest in Gudis. Like they thought they wanted to be harder to play against and they wanted to have more pushback. And they thought Gudis in the offseason could provide that for them. And just as you described, mm-hmm. he certainly could have. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I'll give uh, Larkin credit as a captain. He said um, more than once, I would say three or four times, he mentioned that, that the Red Wings needed to be tougher last year. And Eisenman heard that, I think. And he went out and he wanted to try to get tougher. That's why Costin's there. Um, and, you know, they've added some uh, bigger guys that they wanted to deal with. But, you know, they I think they were interested in Gudis, but I don't think they were willing to go uh, to the length that Anaheim was to uh, uh, give them a longer-term deal. Uh, just got to know Clem Costin placed on IR. So that's yeah. – there there, there's the answer to, to, to that one. No surprise there. Right. Um, 
finish off finish off with uh, with this one. It's more of a, of a big picture Detroit Red Wings. Um, we talk a lot about winning cycles and development and when teams are ready to take that next step. Uh, we all thought Ottawa, we were wrong. We all thought Buffalo, we've been wrong. Uh, and we all think Detroit. Um, when you look at those three teams, uh, as far as being prepared to take the next step, right now, Detroit is out in front of those two as we group those 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 three teams in the Atlantic. How do you put Detroit up against Buffalo and Ottawa as far as where they're at on their winning cycle? That's a great question. You know, last year, Steve Eisenman said publicly that he thought the Red Wings were behind both Buffalo and Ottawa. And anyone who saw the back-to-back games between Detroit and Ottawa last year in Ottawa would have agreed with that. And uh, the the, the Sabres, uh, especially Tage Thompson, uh, also tore them up. But uh, Eisenman went out in the offseason. But, you know, it's interesting. Like, they're closer now, I think, because – Eisenman didn't rush his young players, and he could have. You know, Bergman could be playing, Edwin could be, be, be playing, but he went out and got yep. guys that had been around the block because I think he feels that we got to make the playoffs here. You know, you can't change the culture by saying, you know, sooner or later we're all going to win and we're all in this together. You know, you got to start winning, and I think that's what he tried to do. And because of that, like I, I really do think they're close. If they can get it, like if Alex Lyon isn't uh, hurt long term. If he can come in, he was yeah. playing well in that. Like, if he can play, um, this team was second in goal scoring before this uh, uh, slump. Uh, you know, they you know they, they can score. They can put the puck in the net now. Uh, and uh, uh, I think if they continue that, their defense has been better. Like, I think they can certainly push and, and, and make mm-hmm. the playoffs. I mean, would they go far? Well, of course not. But they could make the playoffs with the team they have now. Uh, NHL's always healthier when teams like the Red Wings are involved in the postseason. Uh, Kevin, always a delight catching up. Thanks so much for sharing your expertise, uh, and we'll see what happens. I mean, it's uh, it's the goalie carousel. It's uh, the injuries. Good to see Dylan Larkin back, and good to see Patrick Kane pick up a multi uh, multi point performance, uh, in a, albeit in a losing cause last night against the Anaheim Ducks. Kevin, thanks as always for stopping by. Much appreciated. All right, Jeff. Thank you. Bye bye. Kevin Allen from uh, Detroit Hockey Now uh, covers the Detroit Red Wings and has for a number of years. He's seen some really good teams and he's seen some really bad teams. What are the Detroit Red Wings this season? Well, we've seen both. We'll see how they end up. In the meantime, time now for for, uh, Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local, Maddie Marchese. Finally, we get to hear your beautiful voice. The dulcet tones of Matt Marchese. Sans mustache too. Oh, that, that is long gone. You're, though, so. you're sick, so it's you're sick, so it's down an octave. This is good. This yeah. is good. You're under the weather, so your voice is deeper now. This is good, Maddie. I can do the meet you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch, like Thurl Raisin Ravencroft soon. That's where that's where I'm going for. What what tones that guy had. Anyway, uh Canucks like at that. Predators tonight. Puck line is Preds minus one and a half. Vancouver is seven and one against the puck line in the last eight games in Nashville. The over has hit in five of the last six games in Nashville between these two teams. And Nashville has won seven of eight and 13 of their last 16 games overall. So when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks, and by the way, that they have the best goal differential of any team in the NHL plus 41. Um, they've won five of their last six, uh, second in the Pacific, trailing only the incredible Vegas Golden Knights. Brock Besser with 23 goals, tied with Austin Matthews. JT Miller, third in points in the NHL, as we all predicted. Quinn Hughes, uh, top defenseman by way of points. Philip Peronik right there as well. Um, there's a lot of the obvious stuff that you can talk about with the Vancouver Canucks. Um, but I wonder how much this game turns into a battle of third lines. Bluger... Joshua Garland have been outstanding for the Vancouver Canucks, but the Nashville Predators have now won four games in a row. They've turned things around. I think a lot of it is Philip Forsberg, duh. A lot of it is UC Saros, duh. But that line of Cody Glass, Yakov Trenin, and Colton Sissons has been one of the top third lines in the entire NHL over this winning streak. Very much looking forward uh, to tonight's matchup, the Vancouver Canucks facing off against the Nashville Predators. That was Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. That is one of 11 games on the board around the NHL. This evening, Elliot Friedman, fresh from the Leafs and Rangers skate, 
checks in in moments. We'll start with the Ottawa Senators, and who knows where we're going to end up with Frege. That's next. Also, Eric Engels on the Habs. Merrick Show continues. Sportsnet Radio Network. Back in a moment. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Yeah, tonight, uh, Vancouver facing off against uh, the Nashville Predators, and Andre Kuzmenko is indeed a scratch uh, in this game. Meanwhile, uh, turning the page and getting on the Montreal Canadiens side of things, big win last night on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Uh, They beat the Winnipeg Jets, who had been cruising along, flip-flopping first place in the Central Division with the Colorado Avalanche. And last night, it took overtime. It took a shot from the point from Justin Barron with Morgan out there. Too late to get to the point. And the Montreal Canadiens escape with a 3-2 win and now find themselves a scant two points out of a wild card spot. Eric Engels from Sportsnet.ca joins me now for comments on that game and other Habs issues. Hello, Eric. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. Um, two points out of a playoff spot, chasing the Washington Capitals, games in hand for the Caps. And as I said off the uh, top of the program, look, it's been a couple of years of misery for the Montreal Canadiens, even though the Habs have the game, don't have the games in hand here. Um, just let them enjoy being this close at this time of year. Yeah, I, w- I just caught the, the tail end of uh, Elliot's daily segment with you where he was talking about math, which is something none of us reporters should ever do. You know, we're in this vocation for a reason because we didn't sign up to do math. But I was thinking about it, and uh, he's right. You know, like the Capitals have three games in hand on the Canadians, so the math isn't great that, you know, two points away for, for the Habs to, to climb their way up there. But above Washington is Carolina, who's just three points up on the Canadians, and they've played the same amount of games. Like, is the math really daunting for any team that is anywhere near sniffing a playoff position in the East right now. I mean, I, I think you look at the the teams beneath them, uh, you know, Buffalo, Columbus, Ottawa, it's not looking good for any of those teams, but everybody else, mm-hmm. even as we've made it 30 or 28 to 32 games into the season, whether you're looking at Washington's schedule or Montreal's, like who's it truly daunting for? And you're right. Like Canadians fans should appreciate this. They shouldn't read too far into it. You know, the Canadians have six regulation wins this season, which is the least uh, so far in the league. The goaltending has saved a number of games and covered a lot of the blemishes that you hope. I think there's a lot of teams out there that wish they had goaltending that could cover some of the blemishes these three guys have for the Canadians. Yeah. But you look at most recently in that game against Winnipeg that you just brought up, the Canadians are playing good hockey. Like, whether they get the results or not, which is somewhat inconsequential given that they're in the second year of a rebuild here, a stated rebuild, they're they're mm-hmm. they're finally, as I wrote it last night, it seems as though under Marty St. Louis, every game has brought lessons. It seems as though some of those lessons are finally sinking in and they're establishing a, a style of play that when they are inevitably successful, that's what they'll lean into. Yeah. Let me ask you about, uh, like, I'm like you. I love listening to Martin St. Louis speak. I mean, there's always, you know, pearls of wisdom uh, whenever there's a microphone near him. And that goes back to when he was a player, too. Like, some of the the most profound quotes uh, you'll ever hear from a player uh, are from Marty St. Louis. As a coach, he has even more time to think um, and, you know, noodle around ideas. And I want to ask you about one player specifically uh, and use a Martin St. Louis quote around it. I want to ask you about Josh Anderson. And I love it when I hear Martin St. Louis say things like, I don't give up on a player until that player gives up on himself. Your thoughts on Josh Anderson right now? Well, first, my thoughts on Marty St. Louis. I think the reporters ask him great questions, and that's why he's able to deliver such good content. Oh, um, of all, all course. Kidding, all kidding aside, <laughs> one um, of the things I loved as an extension of that quote that Marty gave, because he was asked specifically if it was time to, to, to give Anderson, he was asked in French, if it was time to give Anderson uh, potentially a rest to, to step aside from the game, not to scratch him because, you know, of his performance, but to scratch him, to, to let him step away from it for a minute. Cause he was so engulfed in the misery of this slump that he was in. 
Um, but an extension yeah. of that after he finally broke through with two goals in the game against the Islanders, you know, St. Louis says something to the effect of, you know, if if you quit, you guarantee you won't achieve the result that you're looking for. You may not get it if you don't quit, but you definitely guarantee that you won't get it if you do. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it's it makes me think of like golf and putting. Like if you if you walk up to a putt mm. uh, and think I might not make this, you're probably not going to. Like if you walk up to a putt thinking I'm definitely making this, you you may not. Probabilities are that you won't but you're giving yourself a better chance. And like, you know, he comes up with this stuff on a daily basis. And sometimes he's reading it out of a book and it resonates with him and applies to what mm. he's talking about. And sometimes it's just coming out of him. And I think, you know, if there's one thing that it really shows, it's how relatable he is to everyone, but specifically his players. And that was how he got their attention to begin with when he first walked into the room and said, I've been in the shoes of every oh, single yeah. one of you guys as a healthy scratch, as an all-star, as a first-line guy, as a fourth-line guy, and I can relate to anything you're going through. And they all, you know, were, were on the edge of their seats. Um, it's another type of skill to keep them there over what's now close to a two-year period. So... I think we can all agree uh, the Montreal market is a better place with St. Louis coaching in it. And as a reporter, I could say that with mm. certainty. Brilliant questions, Eric. Clearly, uh, Martin St. Louis is only a reflection uh, of all the questions that are thrown his direction. Um, okay, the other hot-button topic, I mean, uh, we can get to goaltending here in a second, and I do want to get there. Um, what are your thoughts on Yuri Slavkovsky right now? I mean, ever since he was selected first overall, he has been a major topic of discussion. How do you see his game today? I mean, I see it evolving. I see it evolving on a nightly basis. I just think, you know, all the things that you were hoping to see in terms of his comfort level in the NHL that weren't that apparent a year ago have come along. And it's I think it's a testament to Adam Nicholas, who's the director of development that the Canadians brought in, their entire development model, and Marty St. Louis' mm -hmm. ability to certainly keep a player engaged in a process that he know he has knows he has to be patient for like you think of a guy like Yuri Slavkovsky who came to the NHL having always scored goals and produced points and if they're not happening at this level it would be easy for him to focus on that instead of the process he's entrenched in where they've sold him on the idea that it's going to take time to get there St. Louis talked about his quotes one of the things he said uh, I think it was just yesterday or the day before yeah yesterday before the game in, in winnipeg was that the type of performances you're seeing from slavkovsky now they may not be accompanied by one two three points a night but if he keeps going this way that's exactly what they're going to be they're going to be two three point performances uh down the line once he gets into the other areas of the game they want him to focus on the credit can go to nicholas and it can go to saint louis it belongs with Slavkovsky himself. Like this is a kid that is extremely mature. It's one of the main reasons that the Canadians drafted him was his ability to handle the pressure. And he's under a ton of it in this market and has been ever since he stepped foot into it uh, on the day he was drafted in this city. Like it's, it's an incredible position to be in. And, and I think this kid has handled it so well. And I think there's people outside of Montreal especially in Toronto, who are like, why the hell are all these reporters tweeting about Slavkovsky all the time? He doesn't have a point here. He barely has scored. <laughs> he's a plus. He's a, and, and, oh, yeah. they're talking about him like he's Austin. Or they're doing what Leafs reporters have done with Austin Matthews. Yeah. And, like, Leafs reporters talking about Austin Matthews nonstop is because, uh, like, the guy is incredible and has been since he stepped into the NHL. Mm -hmm. And Canadians reporters talking about Slavkovsky right now is due to the fact that there was so much uh, flack that he and the organization received that as as he looked to be struggling through his first year as an 18 year old in the league as a number one overall pick and you have to recognize when he's taking huge steps in his game and being a player who not only is a nice compliment to cole caulfield and nick suzuki on that line and grady's being given that chance he looks like he's driving yeah. that line right now. so he deserves that credit uh, let me ask you about the goaltending in Montreal. Um, Samuel Montembeau signs the extension. Uh, I think we all wonder about Caden Primo and Jake Allen, the future of, of these two netminders now that they've 
you know, planted the flag in, in Samuel Montembeau here, um, was mentioning with Elliot in the last segment, it would not surprise me at all, and you're there, you can tell me whether I'm on base or off base here, wouldn't surprise me at all if teams have already called or already tried to take a run at either Jake Allen or Caden Primo. Now, there are some teams, Detroit, um, despite the fact that they've you know lost two netminders right now in Vili Husso and Alex Lyon, they seem fine going ahead with three goaltenders. They're cool with it. I know it's been awkward in Buffalo where they've gone through it as well, uh, but how does Montreal feel about the three goaltending monster right now this deep into December? I don't know. They might be the team like that's uh, offering up the strongest case that perhaps this should be the new model moving forward in the NHL. When you look at the way they've yeah. managed those three guys, um, I think that's part of the reason they've all done well. Um, but also the other part is that you're talking about three guys who have just handled the situation as well as three guys in that situation possibly could. Like Sam Montembeau has been mm. exceptional. You know, he's, he's really not by the traditional numbers, which I think we almost might want to start throwing out because now with the advanced stats that we have on goaltenders, there's so many better ways to read Clear performance. Sight. Um, Clear sight. Yeah. But uh, Jake Allen, you know, he's been really solid. The Canadians weren't giving him much goal support. Uh, they finally get him a game where he has three goals scored for him and he wins. You know, like he's a guy that if you're looking to solve this thing, and the Canadians inevitably will, they're not rushing it because it's going well. Um, and they're not just going to give one away yeah. for nothing. Uh, the goaltending market doesn't generally uh, generate an incredible return, no matter how good the goaltender is. And you can look back through history. It's that's proven um but they're not just going to give one away and i but I, I think jake allen is a guy that that the canadians inevitably end up trading here and he's got a very digestible contract for what he can bring and if there was any team out there mm -hmm. with a young tandem or any team looking to make noise in the playoffs and make a run he'd be a guy i'd be extremely interested in for a couple of reasons one his performance is the most important uh two he is I, I haven't come across five pros in the league who understand their place and and contribute to the healthy culture of a room more than Jake Allen does. We saw that with St. Louis. You know, one of the great stories about Jake Allen with the St. Louis Blues in 2019, Eric, you know this one, um, they're riding Jordan Bennington. And one of the things about Jake Allen is he has this unique ability to mimic the style of other goaltenders. And in that final, during practice, like I think they even went as far as to put a Boston Bruins jersey on him, but he was able to practice as if he was Tuka Rask. He studied all the tendencies, knew all the tendencies. And so all the St. Louis Blues shooters in practice were of the mindset that they were shooting on Tuka Rask and not shooting on Jake Allen. That is a unique skill. Like I am, I honestly, I think that Jake Allen is one of the most fascinating goaltenders in the entire NHL. Elliot and I had a chance last year uh, sit, to sit down with him and do an interview. He gave us like an hour's worth of his time. It was fantastic. Really interesting. Like I think when his career is all said and done, if he wants to stay in the game, there's a big place in there for him because that guy has so much information, such a big brain, such a deep and rich understanding of net minding that it would almost be a crime, a crime to hockey, Eric. How's that if Jake Allen, when all is said and done, left the NHL? Well, he, he could do it on our end for sure, easily with his eyes closed. But I, I could yeah, see that's him true. Being, yeah. being either a director of goaltending and having kind of an all-encompassing job more than just being a goaltending coach. I could see him being in management. Yeah. I could see him being in coaching in general. You know, we always talk about what it means to be a great teammate, to lift people up around you. But another aspect of being a great teammate is being real and authentic. And Jake is not afraid to say it like it is, and he's not afraid to hold people accountable uh, within the room. And, th and that is the true mark of being mm -hmm. a real leader and being a great teammate. And, uh, you know, you have to be people underestimate the vow, you know, especially on the outside looking in, you're looking at the talent of players and whether or not they fit stylistically with the team as you edge towards mm -hmm. the trade deadline. And, oh, we should pick up this player or that player because of how good they are. Uh, you cannot underestimate the value of being the right fit with a team and, and what that means off the ice. And I, I looked at a couple of Canadians, three in particular, who are likely 
I would say, likely to move between now and the trade deadline. Jake Allen is definitely one of those guys. Sean Monaghan is another one of those guys. And David Savard, who probably hasn't garnered as much attention, but is certainly going to between now and March 8th, is definitely one of those guys. Mm. Just a good guy and a good fit with anyone. You know, I I guess the answer to this one just is, well, it depends on the team, but the fact that he has term, like he's not on an expiring contract. David Savard, I'm talking about here, Eric. We'll, we'll finish on this conversation. I got about 60 seconds, maybe not fair enough for this answer, but here we go. Um, does the fact that he has term favor a trade for David Savard or come trade deadline when a lot of teams are just looking for rentals, thank you very much, does it make him harder to trade? It, it depends which general manager you're dealing with. Like Ken Holland at Edmonton has always said he favors not paying up for rentals and securing something that, that gives you stability. And I think he would have done that last year with Montreal yeah. and Joel Edmondson. Had Joel Edmondson been healthy enough for him to make that gamble and know that the next year we'll have him at $3.5 million and that's all it's going to cost to have a guy who we know we can rely on every night. They didn't know that with Joel Edmondson. They do with David Savard, you know, 3.5 million bucks next year on the books. You know that you could plug that guy and he'll be a stabilizing force in any role you essentially put him in on the back end. And and it doesn't cost. It's not a prohibitive kind of value. Savard also doesn't have any trade protection in his deal. And I just think whether it's Ken Holland or some other GMs out there who prescribe to that type of thinking where if they're going to give something up, they want it to not just be a short term solution. Um, I think he does have a certain appeal. I, I think there's other GMs that are going to be looking purely for rentals because that's all their cap enables them to do. Um, but you know what? Mm-hmm. It's a different quotient this year with the cap going up next year. We haven't had that happen in a long time, and that potentially opens up the field to a few more suitors. And I, I really think, like I said, we're not talking about him that much right now, but we're going to be talking about him a lot more moving forward because he's he's a, play, he's a Stanley Cup winner and a guy that – is the exact type of profile of player teams like to add for runs. Yeah, it's true. You know, uh, Jason York joined me at the top of the hour talking about how the Ottawa Senators are looking for a big right-shot defenseman with term. There's one in uh, David Savard. Uh, Eric, thanks as always for stopping by and sharing all your expertise with the Montreal Canadiens. Much appreciated, pal. Yeah, man, I'm off to Minnesota. Take care. Enjoy. I hear it's chilly. Uh, bundle up. Uh, Eric Engels from Sportsnet.ca. Thanks to uh, everyone who uh, popped by the uh, the program today. Eric Engels, you just heard from before that, Elliot Friedman. Uh, Kevin Allen, flurry of activity in Detroit today. Michael Hutchison uh, signed to a two-way deal. Billy Huso, week to week. Clem Costin, week to week. They're both on IR. Throw in Alex Lyon and his injury as well. All of a sudden... Who's playing net for the Detroit Red Wings? Thanks to Kevin for stopping by. And as I mentioned, Jason York kicked it all off. Thanks to our supervising producer, Matt Marchese, our producer, David Sis, board op, Lance Kennedy, and our TV director, the great Jen Rolnick. Uh, on that, I'll let you uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, you don't have to put up with my nonsense anymore. Enjoy the games tonight. We're back in 22 hours. Take care.